This is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal. And this is uh, Jamal Dajani. This is Jeshan Nam. And Jamal, we have a really great show today. We have a lot of things to talk about on the foolish side. But before we get there, at the opposite end of the spectrum, our condolences uh, go out to the family of Elijah, the Honorable Congressman Elijah Cummings of Maryland. Unfortunately, uh, early this morning, Congressman uh, Cummings passed away from an unknown illness at the age of 66, a uh, human rights icon, a civil rights leader and icon. The As many people, including myself, and I'm sure you feel the same way, Jamal, kind of the soul and the conscience of the House of Representatives and of the entire Congress. I mean, we should not forget that less than two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, it was the Honorable Elijah Cummings who confronted the interim DHS Secretary McAleenan, confronting him about the immorality of the family separation policy that the Trump administration uh, continued to engage in. It was uh, Elijah Cummings, rest his soul, who confronted uh, Kevin McAleen in a, in, in a really spectacularly honest, moral way. We have lost uh, a true icon and leader in the House, and our, our condolences go out to the Cummings family and to all people of conscience. That's right, Jess. <laughs> it was a terrible loss uh, for everyone right and, here. And, and tragically, Jamal, this... This is in stark contrast, almost a 180-degree contradiction to what we're going to talk about today. And the title of our show today is Mr. President, Don't Be a Fool. We last week began uh, a very long analysis about the situation in Turkey. And we were hoping that we would break down some of the complexities of the situation in Turkey. There is breaking news today in the last few hours uh, Vice President Pence, Secretary of State Pompeo were in Ankara. They had a meeting with Erdogan and they announced a five-day ceasefire of uh, military activities in the 20-mile, well, security zone they're calling it, on, on the 20 miles in the border into Syria where uh, military activities will cease uh, Kurdish uh, forces will retreat outside of the 20 miles, and there will be five days to have the entire, uh, it seems like the, the, the Kurdish uh, PKK and other Kurdish presence in that area will have to retreat back. Turkish forces, it appears, Jamal, will continue to remain uh, occupying Syria at this point, but this is part of the breaking news. Now, we are going to continue today talking about uh, what is happening in, in Turkey and in Syria because the implications are significant, they're massive, but then I have to tell you and ask you, Jamal, Mr. President, don't be a fool. Yeah, I mean, there is a lot of imp implications, complications, and misinformation about the situation in Syria. And, uh, of course, as usual, we have all these pundits who don't speak Arabic, who haven't been to Syria, haven't been to Turkey, weighing in and uh, expressing their anger and outrage about what's going on right. without giving it any context. But I'm going to start with the White House letter, with the letter by uh, President Donald Trump, which somehow leaked Oh, well, he leaked it. He leaked it. He wanted he to. Thought, he thought it would be good. Yeah, some. I said usually we don't see these letters, right? right. These, these are usually archived, and you see them later on. But somehow, he wants to show us that he's a tough guy. You know, he can talk and shove his way and push his his way and 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 tell uh, other uh, leaders of other countries uh, how to act and how to behave. So the letter, if you haven't seen it. It's posted now everywhere. You could go online or you could go to uh, my Facebook page. I've posted a copy of it. And it starts with His Excellency Recep Tayyip Erdogan, President of the Republic of Turkey, Ankara. Dear Mr. President, let's work out a good deal. 
<laughs> exclamation mark. You don't want to be responsible for slaughtering thousands of people, and I don't want to be responsible for destroying the Turkish economy, and I will. I've already given you a little sample with respect to Pastor Brunson. I've worked hard to solve some of your problems. Don't let the word down. You can make a great deal. General Mazlum, now the General Mazlum, he's from the Turkish uh, military. military. Right. And he thought that he had some confidentiality because, you know, this is supposed to be confidential communication. Obvi obviously not. So he said, General uh, Mazlum uh, is willing to negotiate with you. So you've already given them a hint that. Uh, basically, they want to negotiate. And he's willing to make concessions that, the, that they would never have made in the past. I'm confidently enclosing a copy of his letter to me, just received. I mean, this is, this is bizarre. Like, now, for all the leaders reading this, now they start thinking, if I send a letter to or any kind of communication, an email, whatever, to Donald Trump, it's not he's going to share it with other leaders, right? Yeah. Uh, history will look upon you favorably if you get this done the right and humane way. It will look upon you forever as the devil if good things don't happen. Don't be a tough guy. Don't be a fool, exclamation mark. I will call you later. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. And then it's signed, uh, sincerely? Sincerely, Donald J. Yeah, yeah, Trump. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if we should laugh or we should cry. I feel like crying. I feel like crying. I feel like being angry that this individual doesn't understand the enormity and the complexity and the consequences of his decision to let the Turkish military create this buffer zone to occupy Syria and what it has created in terms of its geopolitical consequences, Jamal. If, if We're going to talk about that today, but the geopolitical consequences of Donald Trump, and we have to remember this and remind our listeners and our viewers, he's the one that allowed the original occupation to take place in the first place. It was Donald Trump who, in fact, gave the green light to President Erdogan and to the Turkish military to do this invasion and um, an occupation of, of, of Syria. And uh, our job is not, obviously, because we don't take sides on these issues, obviously, but we're going to give you the complete, complex political breakdown. Having said that, let's just say that the geopolitical calculus, Jamal, for the entire region has has changed dramatically in the last week. The big loser is the United States and Donald Trump. The next big loser are uh, Kurdish civilians who are, who, are, who are obviously getting displaced and killed. The big winners in all this, I would say President Putin of uh, Russia, who's now be become the kingmaker of the Middle East. It used to be that the United States was the major broker for geopolitical negotiations in the Gulf, North Africa, and the Middle East. Now it's Vladimir Putin. He's been to Saudi Arabia. He's brokering deals. And we find out today that the Russian military is occupying a former U.S. military installation in Syria. The other winners, and this is a, this is, I'm sorry to say this, Jamal, the other big winner in all this are the ISIS and ISIL detainees many of whom who've actually uh, broken out and escaped. So uh, Donald Trump's decision to withdraw U.S. presence there and to give Erdogan the, the green light to do this has caused a massive re reconsolidation, reconfiguration of the entire region. I think, Jamal, that the long-term consequences of this are just going to be generational. Well, if you look at it this way, but at the same time, let's go back. Yeah. You know, aside from, of course, we deplore the act of uh, killing civilians. 100%. Uh, on, you know, especially uh, now the Kurdish civilians in, in Syria 
and the Syrians in general. Right. They have been the biggest victim. This is we're talking a con- about a country now that has half of its population either displaced, displaced or in refugee camps and, right. and in other countries, not to mention the number of people who have been killed. And in this proxy war that everyone, everyone meaning these countries that have a hand in it, including the United States, NATO, France, Qatar, Saudi Arabia. Israel, you name it, they're all there. However, the issue with, uh, with the Kurds in Syria, and it's, it is very important. We, talk, we talked about it last time. We have to keep talking about it. It's complicated. You know, the way they're saying it, uh, oh, you know, uh, the Kurds now, they have to suffer under because now, you know, uh, Bashar al-Assad, actually, his forces are going there to protect them. Right. Against the Turks. He's the other winner here. He's the other winner. But if we go back, there were no issues. And I challenge anyone to say that, that there were issues for the Kurds in Syria. Syria. That's true. Just the same way I would say there were no issues for the Druze in Syria. That's why they remain remain, uh, loyal, loyal, including the ones, including the Druze who are in the occupied Syrian Golan Heights. They basically, their allegiance is to the mother country, Syria, and not to, to Israel. And the, and the Kurds were doing the same way and other That's different right. ethnic groups, starting also with the, the Christians who have now been also pushed out of their historic towns and villages. And, and they've been slaughtered by ISIS. And, and then we can discuss who brought in ISIS and where did they come from and That's all right. these mercenaries. But historically, the Kurds... They were part of the fabric of of Syria. Absolutely. And they were left alone. I mean, they had their own, I I wouldn't say autonomous. But they had their their culture. They had their culture, and they were pretty much left alone to manage their affairs. Yes. And so with a weakened Bashar al-Assad, someone, and I'm saying someone, that's the someone is a big Mystery. It's not a big mystery. It's not. Because actually the United States during the Obama administration played a big role into trying to convince them the same way they they tried or they convinced the Kurds in Iraq that they're going to have an independent state. If you fight with us. If you fight with us. Against Bashar al-Assad. And initially in the north of Iraq, they've managed to have their kind of autonomous region and people were flying directly into Erbil, uh, you know, instead of going to, in, in fact, just I went to both Erbil and to Baghdad when I was working in media development. And to Baghdad, I needed a, uh, a visa, which I obtained it from the Iraqi embassy in Jordan. To fly to Erbil on my U.S. passport. No I, problem. I, no problem. I could fly directly. So this is how <laughs> Erbil it was at the time. And of course, the United States abandoned the Kurds, the Kurds and, and now that's why now it's a mess there and the security zone that they thought that they had established is gone. The same thing happened with the Kurds in Syria. That's right. And their big mistake, and this is a very sad big mistake, is when they started to cooperate and collaborate with the PKK, a recognized terrorist organization, even by the United States, by the EU and other countries. That's right. And the, and the PKK, this is a Kurdish organization, uh, is responsible for many of the attacks and the bombings in Istanbul, Ankara, and other places. That's right. So pretty much they invited that those this terrorist group, which, by the way, has a very strong lobby right here in Washington, D.C., trying to kind of whitewash its, its, its uh, acts and brighten its image. And this is when Erdogan now started to take more interest That's right. in going into Syria. Even though I'm not, I'm not saying he's an innocent player, but this is how we got into this mess. Because now Erdogan was waiting in the wings That's and right. Donald Trump created that vacuum to say, welcome. Now you could go after the PKK. And I tell you, that's, that, this is, in my opinion, this is the interest for Erdogan 
is to kind of put an end to the PKK. I agree. I don't think for the long term he's interested in occupying uh, Syrian land. No, I think that's uh, exactly right, Jamal. His interest is making sure, and, and we have to just say this, and this is not agreement or disagreement, but Turkey being a sovereign country has a right to defend itself, to defend its borders against terrorism, as any any sovereign country does. It has a right to secure its borders. And for the longest time, the PKK has been operating out of Syria, as you said, and been engaging in these terrorist acts against uh, Turkey and its institutions. So my my point is, of course, Erdogan has a right to go after that. We don't agree you know, with with the bloodshed, obviously, and we don't agree with the occupation of Syria, but it just is so ridiculous to hear Lindsey Graham and the Democrats say, our allies, the Kurds, our allies, the Kurds, mixing together all of these different groups, the PKK, the the YRP, all of these different groups with very different interests, very different histories, very different loyalties. And I have breaking news for you, Jamal. Guess what? Turkey is our ally. Turkey is an ally of the United States. Turkey, we have a big base there. Big Tur- base. We have more than a big base just because this is actually, this is, uh, now you start to hear about this uh, on the news. We have nuclear missiles. In Turkey. In Turkey. Hello. So, so for him, he wants to destroy the economy. He wants to destroy the country. Or I mean, it, it's either... He has to be very clear. Do you want to break relations with Turkey or do you want to keep it as an ally? What will happen to our bases in Turkey? What will happen to the nuclear missiles? Well, what will happen to Trump Towers? That's a, that's that's another. <laughs> By the way, some of the emails that we received uh, on the last show, they were uh, criticizing uh, you for saying something about the Trump Towers. I, I meant to forward them. And they said, no, no, this has nothing to do with this. Well, Trump has two towers, uh, two Trump towers in in Turkey. Trump himself to to people, and we welcome criticism, so I'm fine with criticism. But here's the fact. Trump in 2015 said, I have a conflict of interest. Don't ask me about Turkey. I have two very large towers there. Almost a direct quote. So, yes, did, did, did you're saying that it had nothing to do with it? So Donald Trump is always looking out for his economic interests. And, you know, part of the bigger story with Ukraine and what I believe part of the story with Turkey is that he's using the power of the presidency to leverage uh, political and economic gain for himself. In Ukraine, it's political gain going after using the economic and political power of the United States to go after Joe Biden and, and Hunter Biden in the case of Turkey, to make sure that he protects his assets. And we just found out today, Jamal, I mean, this is kind of crazy if you want to talk about Trump's interests. He just announced that the G7 mm-hmm. is going to be held at his hotel and his complex in Florida. So for people to criticize me for saying that Trump doesn't make these decisions. Well, I just wanted you to clarify. Uh, we know that. But 100 percent. I'm willing to argue these facts with everybody. Having said that, let's look back at the big picture. So fact number one, Kurds are not a monolithic group, Jamal. You have Syrian Kurds, Turkish Kurds, Iranian Kurds, Iraqi Kurds. They have different uh, affiliations, different interests. They are different. You can't lump, you cannot say, The Kurds are our allies because that's lumping everybody into one group. What Turkey did specifically was their attempt to protect their sovereignty. They did it in this gruesome way, which we completely reject. But at the same time, I think we should talk about this geopolitical vacuum. It's it's really going to be catastrophic, Jamal. I really believe that, again, as I said, the winners, Putin, uh, Bashar al-Assad, uh, ISIS are the real winners here. Uh, I think Erdogan is a winner. And uh, it looks like there's a bunch of losers here, which includes the United States' strategic interest in the area, right? Well, that's the big question. I mean, the big question is, can the United States afford to disengage itself from Turkey? Well, Turkey has the upper hand, Jamal. 
you know, a member of I NATO. I believe Turkey where we has have the upper bases hand. where we have nuclear weapons. Can I just say something really quick? President Erdogan played Donald Trump like a fiddle and won. He got Obama wouldn't do this. Bush wouldn't do this. No previous president would ever give Turkey the green light to to go into Syria and do what uh, what Erdogan did. So I think that uh, whatever Erdogan said, whether you believe for whatever reason uh, uh, you believe that he did this, he gave Erdogan the green light to do this, and no other president of has done this. Of course he did. And then the hypocrisy about criticizing Turkey when you have over than half a dozen countries who have been totally engaged in Turkey, part of the proxy war. You have planes from the UAE just going into Turkey, flying all the way there to no, flying all the way to bomb targets in Syria. Right, right. You have Russian planes right. who have been patrolling the skies. In fact, they had to coordinate their flights with the United States and Israel so they don't get tangled up in into some major catastrophic accident. That's right. You have Qatar involved. You have Saudi Arabia involved. Bahrain. You have Bahrain involved. You have Israel involved. And all of a sudden, you just go single out because Turkey is going after the PKK and then start to cry like, oh, it's a catastrophe. It's ethnic cleansing. And by the way, your favorite <laughs> subject or favorite person, Bibi Netanyahu saying, and this is I'm quoting, yeah, quote. I warn against the ethnic cleansing of Turks by Turkey. Bibi Netanyahu. Arguing against ethnic cleansing? Arguing against ethnic cleansing. You, you have Bibi Netanyahu, the architect of ethnic cleansing of Palestinians for decades now, having the audacity to claim ethnic cleansing of Kurds. It's, it, again, it's, it's tragic, it's sad, it's laughable that Bibi Netanyahu said that without people just like laughing at him. I think they're laughing at him they are. right in the Israeli media. They're, they're saying, you know, what about Gaza? What about this? And so to have Bibi Netanyahu and then to have members of Congress and the Senate like Lindsey Graham saying like, I'll turn against, I'll, I'll, like if, if this continues, I'll become, I'm paraphrasing, Trump's worst enemy, you know, because all of a sudden he's championing the cause of the Kurds because we're betraying the Kurds never said a single word about the ethnic cleansing and the massacres of Palestinians in or, Gaza. Or Syrians. Or Syrians, or the close to a million Iraqis who have died That's right. because of the George War. W. Bush and his cabal yeah. lying to the world for our former Secretary of State Colin Powell going at the United Nations Security Council with the show and tell pictures, fake pictures, telling them that uh, the Iraqis were developing weapons of mass destruction. Mobile, 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 mobile units, and then, yeah. and then we go there, invade the country, destroy the country, send it back four, five, 40, 50 years behind, and uh, people are still dying there. And no apology, which, by the way, I mean, maybe I, we should say something about Ellen DeGeneres saying that, you know, because all of a sudden now George W. Bush is a cuddly, cute figure. And she said, he's my friend, you know, when she got criticized. And, right. I, and, and my response, and I said, well, you could have friends who you differ with, like someone who you disagree with about recycling, <laughs> but not somebody who killed a million people. That's right. And, and this is a major issue. So I don't want to kind of take us away from the conversation. But what I'm saying is there is a whole slew of hypocritical statements coming out from Congress, pundits, politicians, that all of, some, all of them now, they're crying about the Kurds, about the massacre of the Kurds, when you, to begin with, have been the cause for this demise that happened in Syria, and not only in Syria, Syria, Iraq, Libya, Palestine, and other countries. Well, that's exactly right, Jamal, and that's part of the racism. That's part of the Islamophobia. That's part of the anti-Arab sentiment that this Congress and, uh, and, 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 and this is where both obviously Democrats and Republicans 
equally have to be held accountable for their uh, egregious disregard of what has happened in, you know, the consequences of Iraq, Libya, uh, the Gulf War, and of course, you know, Syria and Palestine. So, yeah, even Lindsey Graham, you know, one of the things that he said, Jamal, which was um, this didn't get much coverage. You know what he's very worried about, about uh, Erdogan and the influence of Russia in Syria? He says, oh, I'm very worried about Israel. He had the audacity to say that because that is part of the subtext here because it's really been the – this is why the Israelis and Netanyahu are so nervous now, Jamal, because they always had the backing of the U.S. Congress. They've always had the backing of the U.S. military. They've always had the backing of, of the president. They felt like they had a friend in Donald Trump. But actually, if you look at it from a geopolitical standpoint with this vacuum that – gets created, having Putin be the kingmaker in this region does not necessarily benefit the Israelis by any sense, because Iran is is an ally of Russia. Bashar al-Assad is an ally of Russia. Erdogan is an ally, and Turkey is an ally of Russia. They just bought a lot of weaponry from the Russians. So I think Jamal... Trump didn't realize his little affiliation for his little small Trump towers. I have a question for you. Do you think anyone read his letter? I mean, you think yeah. you're the president of the United States. If you were a president, you don't even have to be, I mean, you know, I used to have people just review my letters, you know, when I was no vice one reviewed president. This letter. Just to make sure if I made a spelling error or had to, I forgot a point to add. No. This is the president of the United States. Do you think somebody looked at this silly ridiculous letter of his? Well, they might have and have been too afraid to say anything. So basically what we have, and I think uh, this is important for our listeners to know, Jamal, we have a foreign policy that doesn't involve input from the military. We have a foreign policy that does not involve input from the State Department. We have a foreign policy that does not involve the national security apparatus. We have a foreign policy that is based on the tweet, the Twitter account, and the free associations of someone who just shoots from the hip, literally and figuratively. Which, by the way, I f we forgot to mention that also President Trump said in a uh, uh, front of the cameras that the Kurds are much safer right now. And, but the Kurds know how to fight. And as I said, they're not angels. They're not angels. I'm repeating. This is what he repeated. If you take a look, you have to go back and take a look. So he's totally has <laughs> thrown them under the bus. He has thrown them under the bus. He has thrown bus. them under the bus. And this is what we talked about last week. Now, I don't want our listeners and our viewers, which we want to welcome our viewers again on Facebook Live. And this is Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. I don't want to also... I don't want them to misconstrue how we feel about this whole scenario and how we feel like we do feel like Kurdistan should have been established. Yeah. And Kurdistan was of the sacrificial lambs, just like Palestine. Right. During and after the Sykes-Picot agreement. Absolutely. Where it was split amongst all Iran, Turkey, Syria and Iraq and disappeared off the map. Right? That's right. And that's what so. So the Kurds do have the right for self-determination, and they've been played like football, basically, yeah, yeah. in this whole equation, just like they have been played the same way in Iraq, and now they have been played in Syria, you know. So my question, Jamal, why do the Kurds and, the, their, and their regional factions, why do they keep trusting the United States? Why do they keep letting themselves get played? Why do they still believe that somehow the United States, George Bush threw them under the bus, Barack Obama threw them under the bus, uh, obviously Donald Trump has thrown them under the bus. They've been thrown under the bus since 1917. When, what, what's going on? They actually believe? Well, this is actually could be a good segue to talk a little bit because I want to talk about the democratic debate because it's very important. And this is during the democratic debate. I almost jumped off my seat. Yeah, me too. When uh, Buttigieg, yeah. he said that 
America keeps its word. Oh, really? There was a question. He goes like, you know, this. I, I think the question was about leadership. And he says, America keeps its word. I was like, what? What is he talking about? What was he talking about? You know, does he, did he read history books? What? And so, so why did the Kurds trust the United States? It's just they're repeating the mistakes of the past. If they have learned anything, they should have learned at least from what happened to them in Iraq. Absolutely. The United States was selling Saddam Hussein helicopters and delivery methods that he used against chemical them, weapons. Chemical, chemical weapons. To kill them. And, and the, this, this is all documented. 1981, In yeah. fact, Rumsfeld was behind that in his first term as Secretary of Defense, not later on. That's right. He was, he's actually, you have, you can dig up pictures of him meeting with Saddam Hussein at the time. And then they now sold them out again when they promised them independence and sovereignty and the whole thing. This didn't happen. And security. And the same thing is happening to the Kurds again in Syria. Yeah. And uh, so absolutely the Kurds deserve the right to self-determination. And, there, and nobody should disagree with that just as much as uh, any displaced people do. But the way in which they have pursued it by putting their, their uh, sense of getting their dream on the United States or even other players who have consistently failed them, Jamal, is, we hope, a little bit of a wake-up call. And, you know, I'm not sure... I mean, I understand that they're fighting for their life now, and so they have to go under the protection of Bashar al-Assad and, and Vladimir Putin and the Russian influence. But I would say to them, you know, be careful, man, because it's not like the situation is going to get much better in the foreseeable future. Um, yeah, you've been listening to Arab Talk here on KPOO in San Francisco, 89.5 FM. We're streaming live on Facebook at Jamal Dejani 2 as well as live streaming from the KPOO website at kpoo.com. I think we're going to keep talking about this, Jamal, but we haven't answered the question or addressed the declarative statement, Dear Mr. President, don't be a fool. I mean, that's where we started. And I guess part of that, Jamal, is part of the larger right impeachment process that I think one of the things that people don't fully grasp is how Mike Pompeo has decimated career State Department officials. The typical procedures for engaging in diplomacy have been completely uh, undermined. Your close friend, Rudy Giuliani, is running the State Department, apparently. Well, I mean, he, not, maybe not for long. It seems like Rudy Giuliani has been engaged in a shadow you know, uh, a shadow foreign policy at the behest of the president rather than letting the State Department and has been given the green light to do this by the secretary of state. We this is Rudy Giuliani does not have a security clearance. He's not an official member of the State Department. He's never been vetted for this. He, by the way, he says that he's the president's personal attorney, but he has not gotten paid for it. So he's like, what, working pro bono? Well, not if you look at the finances. The Southern District of New York and their, uh, their investigation apparently are investigating Rudy Giuliani's financial dealings. Four of Rudy Giuliani's associates have been arrested related to the Ukraine scandal within the last week. Um, Rudy Giuliani and this administration, Jamal, I mean, with all of my disagreements uh, that you and I have had for years now, whether it's the Obama administration, the Bush administration, and this administration, I never thought I would say it. This guy is a national security risk, not just to the United States, but for the entire world. We're talking about the fact that the Middle East could get truly destabilized as a result of this green light. Now, we hope it doesn't, but my question is, can you run a foreign policy based on Twitter? Can you run a foreign policy by decimating the State Department? Can you do a foreign policy just by sending Rudy Giuliani to, you know, and I mean, we, we missed this point, but Rudy Giuliani apparently asked President Trump to release uh, Gulman, who is the arch 
enemy of uh, President Erdogan, uh, who is an uh, he's not an American citizen, but he's a uh, he's in the U.S. He's a I mean no no he's uh, he's a resident he's, he's a permanent a resident, resident. Yeah. he doesn't he doesn't have a citizenship yet, but Rudy Giuliani is like doing all this crazy stuff and he says he's not getting paid Jamal, but there's some big money involved with this. It's a bad situation. Well, uh, I mean, if you look at the past, what, 48 hours? 24 hours even. Well, say about 48 hours. Yeah. You know, so you're right. You have Giuliani urging Trump now, the big story, to expel Turkish cleric Erdogan once back in Turkey. He wants to kind of do a, make a deal, basically. That's why we say let's make a deal. Let's make a quid, deal. Quid pro quo. Yeah. Then you have the... I guess the third, if not the second, but I would say the third most powerful person in the United States, Nancy Pelosi, yes. Speaker of the House. She is the third most powerful person in the United well, States. Well, some people say maybe she's even the second most because I don't know about <laughs> the others, if they are any if effective. And she goes to meet with the president, with her team, with the... Uh, leadership of also the Senate, the Democratic leadership of the Senate. Yes. And Trump calls her a third-rate politician. He said third grade, but I think it's, he meant third-rate. Yeah. If I understood it correctly, because we have to speak Trump language now to I, understand what uh, he says. Uh, I guess so. And she, of course, leaves, and then Trump puts her picture standing, talking and to him. And pointing her finger pointing at Pointing the finger. And if you look at the picture, then all his generals, whatever, they're looking down like they're embarrassed. And then Trump tweets, nervous Nancy's unhinged meltdown. That's so funny. This is, this it's is. It's actually a good picture of Nancy Pelosi. You know, and then he, he tweets, I'm just saying, I'm like, again, this is foreign policy and domestic policy being conducted on Twitter. After that, he also tweets, Nancy Pelosi needs help fast. There is either something wrong with her upstairs between courts, or she just plain doesn't like our great country. She had a total meltdown in the White House today. It was very sad to watch. Pray for her. She's a very sick person. Sad. I mean, how presidential can we get, Jess? Hey. To say this about the third most powerful person in the country, the Speaker of the House in this country, someone who proved herself time and time again. And of course, and I think this is, plays a big part of it, she's a woman and Trump has an issue. With strong women. With strong women. Yeah, with Just smart Just the same way women, he yeah. insults and, you know, degrades Hillary Clinton time and time again, even though the elections have been over, right, for three years, it keeps going back. But then with Nancy Pelosi to call her a sick person, third grade uh, uh, politician that she had. And then, you know, when you talk about having a meltdown, like, you know, people were always talking about, you know, you know, better about this from kind of psychological impact the when they used to say women are hysterical, right? right, right. That's like when when men didn't have an answer, right. they said they're hysterical. It's the same thing when they say that she's a sick person. It's ridiculous. And she is uh, having a meltdown, like, well, you know. But there, but, but who's this, having the meltdown, Jess? Yeah, and that's exactly the point, Jamal. I mean, part of this is these um, outbursts, these Twitter outbursts by the president are intended to distract us from much bigger issues. Impeachment, which we haven't even talked about yet today. I mean, the, the drumbeat of impeachment gets louder and louder each day. You have people from the State Department. Sunlin is uh, testifying today. He's the EU ambassador, the former hotelier from Oregon with no diplomatic experience who gave Donald Trump a million dollars through shell companies to his uh, inaugural committee or his re-election committee, is the ambassador to the EU has been intimately involved in the situation with the Ukraine, is testifying in closed uh, committee today, Jamal. The drumbeat of impeachable def uh, offenses, the drumbeat of uh, national security risk, of high crimes and misdemeanors, keeps getting bigger and bigger. And I 
I I don't I don't see that the Senate Jamal is going to convict Donald Trump. The House may vote to impeach him, but the Senate I do not believe will vote to convict because and I can't we can't say these words on air, but there aren't there aren't enough courageous cojones, you could say that. I don't know. I, I mean they're just the Senate Republicans don't have anything uh, they're cowering. They don't want to answer questions. They don't want to address this national security risk. I mean, I, I'm sorry to keep harping on this, but uh, I really think that uh, the geopolitical uh, 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 dynamics in the whole world, China, Russia, the Middle East now, completely thrown uh, upside down. So there are three options, Jess. I don't think I can see more... Well, and we'll talk about the last one, which is through a democratic election, because I want to also have some time to talk about the debate. Donald Trump cannot get rid of him, get rid of him through impeachment. Correct. Then there is now people are talking about the option of about his cabinet. Oh, the 25th Amendment. The 25th yeah. Amendment, if, basically, if a vote of no confidence. By the a majority of the cabinet and the vice president. People started to talk about this, by yeah, the way. Yeah, I mean, to say that he's unfit. Given Mike Pence's performance in Ankara today, I doubt that you'll get the vice president on board. So that's probably not very likely. So that leaves us with the elections in 2020. Yeah. And so yesterday... Um, was two days ago. Two days ago, we had the debate, the democratic debate. Uh, it was really disturbing. And then we had separate, you know, we before we we got to listen from the candidates separately. Now you had actually the final, I guess, 12 of them left, which in my opinion, by the way, that the the democratic debate had six more, ca- had six candidates, basically too many. Booker has no chance. Bye-bye, Corey. O'Rourke. Bye-bye, Beto. Klobuchar. Bye-bye, Amy. Gabbard. Uh, Tulsi. Tulsi. Uh, who, who is smart, but unfortunately and doesn't. Ca- and Castro. Yeah, Julio. I don't, think, I don't think these guys have a chance. I don't think there's the next two have a chance to, either. You know, but I'm just saying, so, so, so we can't keep wasting the time, or the Democrats can't keep wasting time if they don't consolidate, you think Tom Steyer should should stay? <laughs> oh, I missed him. I missed no. He had nothing to. I, you see, this is how bad because I don't remember him. <laughs> he actually just like appeared and disappeared. That I actually didn't remember to write him as a note. No. Yeah. I think he, he has never made an impact, Halas. even though he spent a lot of money on advertising, his own money. He wants. He's kind of like behind. Those impeach ads and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. He's, uh, you know, I mean, has nothing to say that he's a, not a good guy or whatever, but I don't think he has any traction. But can I just say something about the debates after watching the debates? Well, I, I have few. Well, let me just say one yeah. big picture thing. Yeah. I think my prediction that Donald Trump could win again might come true. See, I hate you for this, and I told you this because you also— you always make a lot of sense. And this is kind of why I'm saying if, if uh, you know, option number one, <laughs> which is impeachment is going to work. It's not going to work. Not, his cabinet is not going to kind of go 25th against Amendment. him. 25th Amendment is not going to work. And now that leaves us with the elections in few months from now. And you're still not seeing it there. That's very dangerous, which means we're, imagine, just, just our listeners, Imagine a Donald Trump during a second term when he's more powerful. He's more he, does, he, he now anyway. He doesn't give a damn about anyone today. Imagine him when he really doesn't have to give a damn. But let about me ask you a question. Votes. But let me ask you a serious question. You 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 watch that debate. I watched that debate. Did you see anybody that gave you full confidence that they could they could really beat him? If actually the only person I feel that can still beat him is Bernie Sanders. That's and I know people and I know people say, Oh, Bernie Sanders and then sadly of course Bernie Sanders He had a heart attack. He had a heart attack. But then on, on the other hand, how many people do you know after two, three weeks they're back debating and on the campaign after having a heart attack and they are seventy eight years old? No, he sounded really old. he sounded really good. So so just to have him e- even fighting 
uh, on the podium was impressive. Was very impressive, and I do believe I do believe that people will rally behind him if the Democratic Party stops throwing him under the bus. Because now what's going on? And this is what I've been seeing. They will throw. Him it under was the bus. Biden, Biden, Biden. Of course, he's the he's the choice of the Democratic machine, ex-VP. Blah blah blah. Now they're seeing the weakness in Biden. Biden was insignificant. All that he could say is, "I've done that. I've been there. I'm the one. I'm the one. I've been there. I've that, been there." That's what Hillary Clinton said. This is yeah, that's all what he work. was saying. It's not going to work. And I don't think this is going to convince he, the American he, public. He looked wounded to me. And so, even the Democratic Party now itself, I'm talking about the machine, has shifted towards. Elizabeth Warren, why? Because they see her as a centrist. So in other words, even though Bernie is running neck and neck with her, they're not saying Bernie. Bernie has been steady. Just Biden has, be, had, has been declining, on the decline. And she and Warren has, have risen, right? True. But they don't talk about Bernie Sanders. No, they don't. They don't they're, want him. They're now saying, oh, well, maybe, you know, Biden is weak. I think the front runner is, you know, now they're, basically labeling her as the front runner and so they're saying she's the front runner and she's a centrist because you know because they, they want to throw bernie again under the bus this will be the second and third time that and if, if they succeed you're right then uh, it will disaffect large numbers of voters again people will feel like the machine didn't speak on behalf of what people really wanted jamal and then you're going to be stuck with a candidate that is not fully endorsed by the grassroots. And, you know, with Elizabeth Warren, it can go either way. But uh, if you look at everybody in the debate, Bernie was really the standout among everybody in the debate. He really was the standout. And here's I, something. Did, did you notice another thing? No one attacks Bernie because they don't have dirt on him. There's no dirt. So they don't, gonna, the only thing they can accuse him with is, you're a socialist. And you, you know, know what he says? Yeah, so what? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the only thing, you know, you, you want to give free education. You are gonna, where are you going to come up with the money for free education? Where are you going to come up with the money for health care? And then he says, well, you're spending trillions of dollars on the military and policing the world. We'll find money, tax the billionaires. They don't like to hear that. That's why they are going to throw him under the bus. So the other few things. Oh, yeah, 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 go ahead. The other thing is what really... Bother! Oh, that's another observation. Guess who was missing from the debate, except for an incidental mention? Uh, Hillary Clinton. No. Donald Trump. Israel. Oh, really? No mention of Israel. Really? Except for one, and I tell you one instance. It was Buttigieg, wasn't so, it? No, it wasn't. Who was it? And this came out of the blue, just because. Cory Booker. Klobuchar. Oh, Klobuchar, yeah. Yeah, Klobuchar. And she's like, oh, the only democracy in the Middle East, like how is this going to affect uh, <laughs> the countries and when she was talking about the Kurds and Turkey and whatever, and then she throws in... Israel. Israel, the only democracy in the... Yeah, give me a break. You know what? There was no follow-up question. There really? was no applause. Nothing's like, why are we... Why That's are a big you, change. Why are you talking... And this is a big change, you know why? That's a big change. Because I think the Democratic, or at least the left of the Democratic Party, is now realizing that the discussion about Israel is toxic. It hurts them. It hurts them. They're grassroots. So it, yeah. is, it is not... And what, what are they going to say? Israel, Netanyahu... You know, he's going to be back. He's back in power or whatever. The ethnic cleansing of Palestinians. It's okay. Yeah, they're not going to say okay. Yeah, yeah, they're not going to say that. You know, that they, they've changed. They want to change the laws of the land. So Palestinians are second class citizens, which they are, etc. So there was no defense of Israel except for her. That's a big change. I think she's looking for more APAC dollars. Yeah, probably. That's a big change. Which is a big change because usually it's like, you know, we got to defend. Now it's like, no, we got to defend the Kurds. We gotta stop Turkey, you know. So, so if this maintains itself, it's interesting. And it wasn't in the questions, by the way, by CNN. Didn't yeah. even, you know. But CNN also didn't ask any questions about climate change, but they did ask about Ellen DeGeneres and George Bush, which was a little disturbing. That was I, a crazy I, I, question. I know it was. I want to just make because you, you you missed one really important point about the front runners. 
Okay. And uh, it hasn't gotten a lot of attention. Uh, the person who has raised the least money this last month, Jamal, is Joe Biden. He has the least money raised. Momentum is dropping. He's, he's got less money in the bank. He's got less than $9 million in the bank. And Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Buttigieg, they have double and triple that amount. So I know I kind of said this four or five weeks ago, but I don't think uh, Joe Biden's going to win, man. I really think that it's going to it's probably going to come down between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. And I'm I'm really disappointed to say this, but I believe that the Democratic machine, I agree with you, is going to throw Bernie Sanders under the bus yet again. Well, if this happens, Jess, we know where we're going to be heading. But on the topic of uh, we only have a raising, yeah, raising we, money, which is really important because we'll, this yeah, is something will play into your uh, predictions. So far, the most money has been raised for Donald Trump. $27 million. No, more. No, just this last month. Yeah, but in general, like yeah, yeah. his, his uh, war chest yeah. is the has the most money. Yeah, yeah, by far. And he has used actually much less money than... Of course, he doesn't the, need it right now. Because he doesn't have to run he, into... Yeah, a, he doesn't need it. Yeah, so... Well, Jamal, we have a lot to talk about. Unfortunately, we didn't get a chance to talk a lot about Palestine right now. I mean, we kind of get at it indirectly because I think that uh, the political landscape in the region is being reconfigured right now. When, when Vladimir Putin has a state visit in Riyadh with the king and the crown prince, that's kind of a big deal, even though they... They played the wrong national anthem. Well, they messed it up. Or they messed it up. But I think we're, we're really on the verge of some big, big changes. Hey, thank you all for listening to us on Arab Talk here at KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. You could follow us on Facebook Live at Jamal Dejani 2. Go to our website to check out all of our listening and viewing options. That's ArabTalkRadio.com. And we'll see you next week. See you next week.